Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's great to be with you and appreciate the opportunity to, to share with you for a few Sundays uh, while you go through this uh, time of transition. Uh, sorry that my transition caused you to go into transition, but uh, to be honest, the great thing is I'm not superintendent anymore, so it's really not my problem. <laughs> you, you can be mad all you want. I go back to Mount Vernon. I don't care. Yeah, that's right. Well, I want you to know that I, I am praying for you as you go through transition and uh, Ben praying for you and your family as you transition as well. Uh, but we know that, that no matter how things change, God always takes care of his people. You know, we believe that. And, and God always takes care of his church. And so I just encourage you to have that confidence and that peace that even in those times when things change and we don't know what it's all going to look like, that's okay. Because God is always working to fulfill his purpose. And I believe, I know that he's going to do that in the life of this church. Well, it is good to share with you. In a moment, we're going to look uh, to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 16. But a, a few years ago, uh, my family, we were down in the Smoky Mountains, and we got the idea that we wanted to go uh, hike a trail. And so we, we picked uh, the Chimney Tops Trail because, quite frankly, it's short. It, it's only like two miles long. And, you know, that was about as ambitious as I wanted to be, was about two miles long. But we didn't realize that this trail, within two miles, has almost 1,500 feet of elevation. And that over 900 feet of that comes in the second half. And so you get into this second mile, and it is steep, man, and it's rugged, and it's hard. And you get to that place where you hit that wall that I call the wall of regret. You know, it's that moment when you, you get that question, who was the idiot that decided that we should do this? You know, what, what ignorant idea is this to go walk up the side of a mountain? But there you are, you can't turn back, right? Sometimes in life, we hit a wall of regret. We hit that place where, quite honestly, we wish we had the opportunity to do something over. We wish that we could go back and undo some decision or, or do it in a different way. But we're stuck. We can't go back. So what do you do when you hit the wall of regret? There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Samuel who, quite honestly, hit the wall of regret at one point in his life. If you want to look there in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do next. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel was the one who anointed a man named Saul to be the king of Israel. He, he did it because the Lord told him to. He did it with the right heart. He did it with the right motives. But quite honestly, things just didn't work out the way that he expected or the way that anyone wanted it to work out. Saul wasn't the kind of king that he shouldn't have been, should have been. Quite honestly, Saul wasn't the kind of person that he should have been. He, he lived in disobedience to God and continually rejected God's direction for his life and for his kingship. And so it came to the point that God rejected him as the king. And Samuel was heartbroken. Now Samuel grieved. I mean, here was this man that, that he anointed, that he blessed as the king with these high hopes, believing that this was the right thing and that God was going to work through this. But guess what? It just didn't work out. And Samuel grieved for Saul. He probably spent a lot of time thinking about how things could have been and how they should have been. And maybe Samuel even wondered about his role in the whole thing. Could he have done something differently? Could he have helped Saul in some way? Could he have spoken some word? Could he give him some kind of direction that would have changed that course? Was there any way that it could have been different? And Samuel hits this place where he is grieved over what could have been and what should have been, he hits the wall of regret. And he just checks out. He, he just kind of checks out. He, he goes into a retirement of regret. 
and probably goes into that thinking that this is going to be the last word on his life and his ministry. The label that he is going to wear from now on, he was the prophet who anointed the failed king. He hits the wall of regret, and he sits there. You know, it's inevitable that we are going to go through moments of regret in life. Sometimes, like Samuel, we, we felt like we did the right thing, you know? We, we felt like we were following God's will, and, and we, we did what we did with the right heart, and maybe we put our trust in somebody else, and quite frankly, it just didn't work out that way. We, we felt like we were doing the right thing, but somehow things just got all messed up, and nothing turned out the way that we thought that it would, and, and now we're sitting in that place wishing that we could go back and redo and, and make a different decision. Sometimes it's because others fail us. But then sometimes, quite honestly, we hit the wall of regret, and it's all on us. We just have to get honest and say, you know what, I, I did the wrong thing. I made a bad choice. I chose the wrong path. And now I'm having to deal with the consequences of that, and I'm up against this wall of regrets. Because I made the wrong decision, I just did the dumb thing. I followed that ill-advised path, and, and I can look back and see how I handled it wrong and how I took that misstep or I said the wrong thing. And now you look in that rearview mirror and you see a broken relationship, a relationship that's just never been restored. Or you look in the rearview mirror and you see that bad financial decision that has just weighed on you ever since. Or you look at that decision that led you down the path into an addiction and you have just never been able to break it and you live in regret or you look back and you see that decision that you made that job move that was just the wrong thing or that wrong misstep that just seemed to get your life completely off course and you're still paying the price for it and sometimes like Samuel we hit that wall of regret and we just sit there and look backwards, wishing that there was some way to go back and undo what we did. And sometimes, like Samuel, we think that this is going to be the last word, <laughs> that we're going to spend the rest of our lives living under the shadow of regret assuming that what we did wrong or how we failed or that disappointment or that wrong that was done to us is going to be the last word on our lives. It's going to define our lives. But you know, God has a way of speaking a contrary word to the assumptions that we so often make. In that very first verse, God speaks to Samuel as he sits under this cloud of grief and regret, and he says, Samuel... How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Samuel, how long are you going to live in this sense of, of grief and, and regret? Here's what I want you to do, Samuel. I, I want you to get up. 
I want you to get out of that shadow. I want you to fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I want you to move forward on down that road because I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. How long are you going to grieve? How long are you going to mourn? How long are you going to live in that shadow of regret? Now, I don't think the Lord is saying that it's wrong to grieve or, or that we should never have regrets. You know what? Some things in life ought to be grieved. There are a lot of things in life that are regrettable. There are decisions that we have made that were flat-out wrong and caused all kinds of consequences that we wish we never had to deal with. And we do grieve those things. Sometimes people are going to disappoint us. Sometimes we put our trust somewhere and, boy, we, we regret doing that. It's not that God is saying you, you don't ever grieve. It's not that God is saying that some things aren't regrettable. I mean, that's just part of life in this world. Here's what God is saying to Samuel, and here's what God is saying to us. Are you going to let that regret have the last word in your life? You see, that's really the heart of the question. How long are you going to mourn? How long are you going to sit in this grief and this regret? Will you let that moment, will you let that disappointment, will you let that hurt or that regret, are you going to let that have the last word in your life? Are you going to let that define your life? You see, the good news that God brings to Samuel is that it doesn't have to be the last word. The good news is that doesn't have to be the defining moment of your life. He says, I want you to go on your way. I want you to fill your horn with oil and go on your way because, guess what? I'm going to anoint a new king. Samuel, what you have to understand is I'm not done writing this story. Yeah, things didn't work out the way that you thought they would work out, but I am still writing this story, and I am writing a new chapter. There is a new king to anoint, and I am still at work, and I will still fulfill my purpose. No matter how bad other people mess things up, and no matter how bad you might mess it up, guess what? Samuel, I can still redeem all of this, and I am going to fulfill my purpose, so I want you to get up and move on. I want you to get up and move on. That regret does not have to be the last word of your life. Move on and trust me to do a new thing. See, that's what God is all about. The question is, do, do we believe that God says the same thing to us today? You know, I watched last night as, as the Cubs got to the World Series. And, you know, I, I grew up in Cincinnati, and so I'm not a Cubs fan. But I'll tell you what, I, I rejoice for Cubs fans because bless their hearts. Man, they have put up with the stuff, right? Since 1945, they have been waiting. But I will tell you, and this is why I'm happy for them, because they are the most loyal 
I mean, to the point of insanity, to the point of, you know, you got to question what's going on within them. But they are the most loyal fans, I mean, through all of those years of losing and all of the years of mockery and all the years of disappointment. They just kept showing up, man. That was still their team, and they just kept showing up. You know what? Sometimes in life, the key is you got to just keep showing up. You got to just keep showing up, believing, just like a Cubs fan, you know what? It's a new year. <laughs> like a Cubs fan, it's a new year, and this could be different. And the question is, are you going to sit under the shadow of regret? Are you going to hit that wall and just sit there and look backward? Or are you going to keep showing up, believing that God can do a new thing, and God can, God can write a new chapter in your life, no matter what the regrets are in your past? Do we believe that? You see, that was God's word to Samuel, and that is his word to us. He is able to write a new story. Despite what has been, despite what you may have done, despite what others may have done to you, no matter how bad things turn, God is always able to work, and God is always able to write a new chapter in your life. God always has a new king to anoint. He always has a new story to write. He always has a purpose to fulfill. You know... We hit the wall of regret on that trail going up that mountain. But you know, if we hadn't kept moving forward, we would have never gotten to the top and seen the view that we would have never had otherwise. Right? You know, you get to the top and you see that view, and all of a sudden, what you see from the top, it redeems all the stuff on the trail. Amen. You know? And that's what God wants to do in our lives. If we just keep showing up and we keep moving forward, sooner or later we get to the top of the mountain and we have a view that we never would have had before and it's going to redeem everything that was on that trail. I want you to hear me this morning. There is no decision so wrong that God cannot redeem it. I don't care how bad you messed up in your life, there is no decision so wrong that God cannot redeem it. There is no disappointment so great that it will have the last word over God's word. There is no disappointment, hurt, or wrong that is so big and so great that God doesn't know what to do next. So the question is, will you sit under the shadow of regret, or will you do what God asked Samuel to do? To get up and move on. And trust that God will continue to write His story in your life, despite what may have been. Somewhere down that trail, the view is going to redeem it. Why is it, do you think, that we have such a hard time letting go of those regrets and, and those hurts and those wrong moves and those failures in our past. Why, why do we have such a hard time letting go of those things and moving forward? You know, one of the things that I've come to understand 
is that we, we become paralyzed in those moments and those shadows of regret because we equate all of those wrong decisions, those regrettable things, those failed moments, we equate those things with our identity. We look at those regrettable moments of life. We look at the wrongs and the failures and the disappointments, and we equate those things with who we are. See, they don't just define the circumstances of life. We allow them to define who we are. We believe that that's how we are now labeled. Right? We are labeled by that one moment. We are labeled by that wrong decision. We are labeled by that disappointment. We are so identified with that failure and that regrettable decision that we think that's how, that's who I am and that's how I see myself and, and I just assume that that's how people see me and we come to believe that we're never going to escape that. That we're always going to be known by what was. We're always going to be known by that big moment of failure in my life. And out of that, there is a label that hangs on me that I will never escape. You know, it's, uh, it's getting close to that time. And personally, I'm excited about it. When we're going to start up the Christmas music and they're going to start showing Christmas movies, right? And, and they're going to show a Christmas story. You know, the, the story of Ralphie who wants the Red Ryder BB gun. Okay? And even if you've never seen the movie, you've probably seen the picture of him wearing the gift that came from Aunt Clara. You remember that absolutely horrendous pink bunny outfit? He makes this incredible statement uh, when his mom tells him to open the gift from Aunt Clara. He makes this just wonderful proclamation. He says, Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that not only was I perpetually four years old, but also a girl. <laughs> I love that. Labored under the delusion that I was perpetually four years old and a girl. Sometimes we feel that way. That in people's minds, they have made a judgment about us by one particular moment by one particular experience and they live with the delusion that that's who we are always and sometimes it's not even other people a lot of times we do it to ourselves we identify ourselves with that one moment of failure disappointment regret that one thing that we wish we could undo but we can't and that becomes so locked into our perception of who we are that we cannot move beyond it. You know, I, I wish that I could tell you this morning that, uh, that people will never label you. I, I wish I could tell you that people won't 
have a perception of you based on one small moment or one piece of your life. But I can't tell you that. Because human beings do label others. Human beings do make judgments and develop perceptions based on the wrong things or pieces of information. Human beings don't easily forget. So I can't tell you that people won't throw a label on you. I can't tell you that people won't have the wrong perception of you. But what I can tell you this morning is that the labels that others place on you do not define you. And even the labels that you throw on yourself do not define you. There, there is this great moment as you continue in this story in, in chapter 16 where Samuel does what God tells him to do. He, he gets up out of that shadow of regret and he moves on and he's going to go anoint a, a new king. And so he goes and he has this, this big sacrifice, this celebration, and Jesse and his sons are there and he's ready to anoint one of them the king. And he looks at the first one and he, he says, man, this guy is it. He's got the look. He's got the right label. Here's the right perception. This is the king. But God says, no, that's not the one. I, I'm not looking at the same stuff everybody else looks at. He, he's not the right one. And so they go to the next one and the next one and the next one, and they go all through, and God says no to every single one of them. And, and Samuel says, okay, am I in the wrong place? What's going on here? Jesse, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse said, well, yeah, there's the youngest. And he said, well, go get him. And the youngest who has been out tending the sheep, who is not even invited to the party, the youngest comes. And Samuel anoints him. And this unlikely shepherd boy is the one who is going to overcome giants in the wilderness and war to become the king of a nation and a man after God's own heart. But here's the great thing about this story. Did you notice that his name is never mentioned until the very end of the narrative? Before that, he is referred to simply as the youngest. He's not called by name. He's just called the youngest. And actually, when you go back into the original language, what you need to understand is that was not a term of endearment. That was not a term like, oh, it's my precious little one. No, when, when Jesse said he is just the youngest, the word that he uses there is a word of disrespect. It's a word that shows little significance, little value. He is just the youngest, dismissed, forgotten about. He was not even invited to the celebration, and that shows you the label, the perception that his own father had of him. 
It, it shows you the label that his own people, his own family had placed on him. They didn't even call him by name. They just referred to him by this demeaning term, he's just the youngest. But then you get to the end of the story. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Did you notice that the very first time David's name is mentioned. It is mentioned in connection with the Spirit of God. Everybody else called him the youngest. They called him by a label. But the first time David's name is mentioned, it is mentioned in connection with the Spirit of God. The Spirit came powerfully upon David. Now, I want you to think about what that means. Everybody else knew him by a label. But to the Spirit of God, he was David. Everybody else knew him by a label that they had stuck on him. But to the Spirit of God, he was David. He was known by name as this uniquely created, uniquely loved individual. Can I tell you something this morning? Every single one of us in this room may be known by a label. And I don't know what labels the world may have stuck on you. And I don't know what labels you may have stuck on yourself. And you may be labeled by things of the past that you've never been able to escape. But in spite of all of the labels, the Spirit of God knows you by name. He knows you today as this uniquely loved, uniquely created individual. He knows you by name. Labels don't define us. We are defined by the God who knows us by name. And when we understand that, we are free to move beyond the regrets and the failures and the disappointments of the past and say, you know what, those do, do not have the last word in my life. The uh, labels that others lay on me will not define me because I am known by name by a God who redeems all things. I am known by name by a God who is always writing a new story, and he is writing a new story in my life. So I don't care what the labels are, and I don't care what's happened in the past. My God knows my name, and he is redeeming my life, and he is redeeming my story, and so I am going to move on. Will you do that this morning? You see, that's the word for you today. Come out of the shadows of regret. 
Come out of the shadows of the past. Live beyond the regret of what has been and cast off the labels that others want to throw on you and just go and live like God knows your name. Would you pray with me? Father, today uh, we come to you as people who quite honestly are broken in so many ways, who can point to so many things in our past that we wish we could do over, both things that we have done and things that have been done to us. But Lord, I ask you right now, in the very depths of our spirit, to, to hear the voice of your spirit call us by name to know that we are more than the things that have been. To know that we are more than the labels that we put on ourselves or that others place on us. Today, we are known by name. And we are dearly loved as the children of a God who is able to redeem everything. A God who is always able to write a new chapter in our lives. Lord, nothing is too hard for you. No decision so wrong you can't redeem it. No disappointment so great that it has the last word over your word. So help us today. By your grace to, to get up and to walk out of that shadow of regret and, and to move on knowing that you know our name. And Lord, help us by your grace to trust you to write that new chapter, to redeem all that is. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing who we are and calling us by name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.